from you. We need a word from you. We need you to speak to us, through us, and by us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, this morning, into the noon, the word on my heart is a simple message of what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved. I have found out many times when we have gone on general outreach or been on visitation with people and we ask somebody to share, I realize that the message of salvation, even though sometimes they might have been in church for long, sometimes been through faith builders, been through school of ministry, been through all kinds of programs, discipleship, many programs with the aim to help them to understand what it means to be saved, I still see that many believers struggle. You find people turning the forum into a debating club. Some people turn it into some philosophical discussion or moral lesson. It's not good to smoke. It's not good to drink. It's not good to uh, fornicate and things like that. And the main meat of what it means to be saved. What constitutes a salvation message? What constitutes what happens to the person after they have said what we famously call the sinner's prayer? It's lost on many of us. And so I want us to engage this day on what it means to be saved. But before then, there was a word that the Lord laid on my heart which I want to share with you as brethren in the church. I heard clearly that the Lord said, win people by love. Win people by love. It's a prophetic word. Win people by love. So whatever we do, whether it's general outreach or hospital, prisons, any form of outreach, any form of even office outreach, family outreach, we pray for our families. Whatever we are doing, we pray that God will help us, that we'll be driven by the love more than just doing it as a routine. I realize that many people, even in communicating, would want to, we have two extremes, people who would want to scare people out of hell into heaven. Then we have people who want to soothe People give them the sweetie so that they can see what a beautiful world we are in in the kingdom. So come, join us. And sometimes when some people come like that, they get frustrated because they were promised everything, but they see nothing. And then frustration sets in that God said, he will give us everything. But I see a different, I experience bitterness. You know, the imperials... In those days, made a song. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim, threw us away. They also made a statement that he didn't bring us, he didn't promise us 
a life of goodies. Hallelujah. Much as we also has not promised us all sorrow and grief and pain. The salvation message is not a recitation. It's also not an act of a church ritual such as baptism, confirmation, or any such church established sacrament or ordinance, as you may call it, depending on your um, religious orientation. Because if you are Catholic, you will say it's a sacrament. If you are Protestant, you say it's an ordinance. None of these can replace what we experience in salvation. Hallelujah. Neither is it a call to ministry. There are a lot of people who confuse the call to ministry. Oh. Well, even when I was a child, when I was even an infant, I knew God had saved me already. Because when I speak, that, when I dream, all the dreams come to pass. So I see prophetically. You cannot be saved through the gifts. If the fact that you dream and you have visions and you, have, you see things and they happen, doesn't mean you are saved. Even the soothsayers, they see things. The magicians, they see things. So, check where you, what you saw is coming from. We don't all, not all revelations are of God. There are many revelations that are of different sources. And depending on your spiritual orientation, you may encounter something. Amen. So, salvation, the word salvation in the Greek is what we call soteria. Soteria, S-O-T-I-R-I-A. Which means delivered from a dire situation. A, a near, a dangerous situation. When you are saved, it means you are taken away from something that could be very grievous. When I was a younger Christian, we also learned that salvation, the, another Greek word we describe salvation, is sozo. S-O-Z-O. Sozo deals with wholeness in healing. Total healing. You know, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said in chapter 5, verse 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he said, I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. So, the sozo means your spirit, your soul, and your body are preserved whole by God. That is salvation. Because there are not every infirmity is natural. And the biggest infirmity is a spiritual infirmity. The one when your soul is sick. There's also emotional or, 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 or soulish infirmity. The script, the psalmist often talked about, my soul is extremely troubled. Many times when we dream and we wake up, we are troubled in our soul. When you hear bad news, you are troubled in your soul. But when you are saved, the grace to overcome that trouble comes to you because the word of God comes to you and comforts you. Hallelujah. 
So through the renewal of mind and through the word of God and through encounters we have with the Lord, even though we are saved, the encounters come, then through those troubles, we are able to overcome the troubles that come to us because we have the weapons. When you are saved, you have the capacity to endure affliction and things that trouble the soul. It doesn't mean your soul will not be troubled. Your soul may be troubled. Issues, bad news will come. Bad reports and incidents will come. But the capacity to withstand and not to be broken and not to be kept under by what you experience is given to you when you are saved. Say amen. So salvation is deliverance from a dark situation. It's also being the dark situation the root of it, salvation, of the whole issue of salvation, is about dealing with sin. Sin. Coming out of the control of sin. And its consequences. When we say somebody is saved, it means he or she has come out of the control of sin. And its consequences. We, the believers, need to understand these things because I notice that a lot of people preach or teach or share the message so-called of salvation without really understanding themselves what they carry. And I've been there before. When I used to sell Quaker Roads years ago, I didn't know that Quaker Roads could be used to make soup. I didn't know that Quaker Roads could be used to make biscuits. I only thought that Quaker Roads was only for breakfast. But when I became a salesperson of Quaker Roads, we commissioned um, the lady who does uh, First Image Academy, whatever, something Image Academy, Second Image Academy, Nikki Buamponsem, to do different recipes, make different recipes out of Quaker Roads because we had the suppliers tell us that Quaker Roads can be used for this, can be used for this. So all the other things that Quaker Roads could be used for, I got exposed to it. So you can be born again, supposedly, and think that salvation is just your passport and your visa to heaven without knowing that there are many things in the whole message of salvation. And because of that, we can just present Christ as just that bit of the visa and wait and go through all to get to the final destination to realize that there is more to it than just the license into eternity. Even the understanding of eternal life is lost on many believers. Because in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, Jesus makes a very profound statement. You read the ESV. In, he says, I give them eternal life. Now, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, l- listen to that. He said, I give them. He didn't say, I will give them. Or I shall give them. He said, I give them. So, as you receive Jesus, you receive eternal life. Eternal life is not like our sister Boateng has gone to be with the Lord. And after, she's now going to enjoy eternal life. When we, we didn't know, that is what we thought. But eternal life... It's what happens when you say, Jesus, come, I receive you. And then Jesus, in exchange, 
That is why in Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, redemption means an exchange. Redemption is an exchange. You redeem something. You are bought. So, the death that we had is exchanged and we receive eternal life. When you surrender your life that you have to Christ, you receive eternal life in exchange. Hallelujah. So, eternal life does not begin when you give up the ghost. Eternal life begins in perpetuity as you receive Christ, who is the giver of eternal life. He is the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you receive him as the life, the eternal life, he is his eternal life. Hallelujah. See, when you understand what you have and who you are in Christ, it makes a whole lot of difference how you communicate the message of salvation. Say amen. The root of this whole, why did we need salvation? Romans 5.12 The mystery of sin. Until sin entered the world. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The root of this whole need for salvation, because he's simply saying that before sin came into the world, we had that life. The life of God. When God breathed into man, and man became a living soul, his flesh came alive, his emotions came alive, his spirit came alive. Until the mystery of sin, which came through, that we know we don't want to go over the story of Adam in the, and Eve in the garden. But the, the issue here Paul is referring to is that encounter in Genesis chapter 3. And through that sin came into man. And that sin that came brought us into death. Now it's very important to understand this death that he's talking about. It makes a whole lot of difference when you are teaching or preaching the word of God and you talk about sin and death. When you understand it, it changes many things. Now let's go into the scriptures. Death, number one, is dealing with natural death. The fear of natural death. Look at Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. When salvation is victory over death or freedom from death, the control of death. What it means is that it says, for as much then as the children are partakers, no, not King James. Give me an ESV or one of the other versions, that to make it easy. Okay, okay, let me read the King James first, then you can go, go back to the King James. For as much then as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Go to verse 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and the life, we are the children. As we partake in Christ, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through the death, he, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, oh sorry, go to verse 15. You are going back to verse 15, please. 
I'm talking about those who all their lives lived in fear of death. Yes. And delivered them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So that's why the songwriter, one of the reggae people said, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. So when you are not born again, when you have not received Christ, when you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are not saved, we all live in fear of death. But being saved takes away, or it should take away. That is the benefit of salvation. Salvation comes in to deal the first death we are talking about is natural death. The fear of natural death, we are no longer intimidated by the fear of natural death. That's why many of the early apostles were able to die for the kingdom's sake. Because they knew that natural death didn't matter to life at all. It was not the end of life. Now when we are, we are so conscious of the value of natural death, then there's a question mark. We haven't fully appreciated what it means to be saved. The person that is saved, one of the biggest achievements of our salvation is the fact that he or she is not intimidated by the limitation of natural death. Hallelujah. Because in Job 14, verse 5, the scripture says, He has set the bounds of all men that none is able to cross. So whether you die at 15, 20, 100, 80, you, you are not intimidated. Whether you die because you have spoken the truth, or whatever you stand for, that causes your death, because you are, you are saved, you are not intimidated by death. And that is the first and very critical benefit of salvation. Say amen. Then, we have what we call spiritual death. When you are not born again, when you, don't, you are not saved, according to Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. Ephesians 2, 1. He said, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. What it means is that we were insensitive to God. That is the death that we overcome, number two. The first death is that the intimidation and the, the, the threat of natural death does not come to you. You, you, you are not bound, you are not, your actions are not so much. You don't fear people because they can take away your, your life. Even if they take it, you know that you have another, your, 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 your life is safe in the hands of the Lord. Hallelujah. And that makes us bold. That makes us speak the truth. That makes us live for the righteousness. So salvation, that people say, I am saved. And uh, we are consciously living in fear of people and of systems and of situations. There are issues. The full benefit of salvation must lead to an overcoming that natural death, whatever way it comes. And the second one is that the, the death that is de- being dead to God. Being dead to righteousness. Because of death in sin and trespasses. We have crossed the line. A trespass is that there is a line you cannot cross in life. There are moral lines. There are social lines. There are relational lines we, can, we should not be seen to be crossing. 
But because when people cross the lines, they, are, they don't even know they have crossed the line. They have trespassed. They have crossed the line. Hallelujah. And you become, you, you, when you, you have crossed the line, you, 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 you are dead. You are unconscious of the consequence of crossing the line. Hallelujah. That is the second death we are dealing with here. And when a person is saved, he has crossed, he has overcome that trespass, insensitivity to sin. You are now become awake. Even when you, you speak or you do something against a brother or a sister and they have not complained, your spirit your spirit strikes. Something checks you. You have what we call a check in the spirit. You have a, a conscience which wakes up. So when a person is not saved, Paul says that his conscience is seared as a hot iron. It's dead. He's, if he's like the people who are sadists. When we went to secondary school in those days, there were bullies. Guys who can sit on children, young boys, and bully them. I remember in one of the schools in Cape Coast, a guy soaked Gary and put a meal omo and things in there for a former one boy to eat. That's the saddest. Insensitivity. High level of insensitivity to the pain. They, they, they just delight in uh, 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 giving pain to younger children. That's the saddest lifestyle. Insensitive. He's dead to his conscience. When they are, they are bullying you, they don't care. And many of us, in different ways, when we were not in Christ, we were insensitive to the effects of our actions on other people, on society, on our, even our own body. People who are caught in alcoholism, caught in drugs, and all of that, they, they, don't, they, are, they are insensitive. They are, their mind, they are, it becomes illogical to you now that you are in Christ. But they, for them, it makes, they, they, they are just blind. They are just closed. So that is Another death. But more importantly, death in terms of hearing from God. They cannot connect to heaven. When they, God is speaking, you know, just as, as I was sitting here and I heard, I heard the Lord speak to me that this word, win people by love. When you are not born again, when you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can't hear the voice of God. Well, I mean, there are many ways in which God speaks to His children. And if you are saved... You should be hearing from God. The scripture says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Jesus said, I know my sheep. My sheep know my voice. So when you are not a sheep, when you are something else, you can't hear the voice of God. It is when you are alive in Christ, alive to righteousness, then you can hear the voice of God. So if you are a child of God and you are just going on and everybody is saying, brother, sister, stop this, stop it, stop it. And you are not hearing. And you are just going, I do, me, that's how I am. I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. You are going. Something is not right with your being born again. Something is not right. If all is well, you, even, you don't even need somebody. To tell you, because you said, Scripture says in, in, in 1 John 7, uh, 2, 27, it says that we have a witness. The Spirit Himself is witness in us. He, 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 he gives us the catch. He gives us something, sensitivity, that makes us know an unction in us to know the voice of God. So when you don't have that unction of knowing the voice of God, then your spirit is said to be dead. So, a person, salvation is about bringing alive your spiritual sensitivity. 
that you can hear from God. That when, when you don't know Christ, when you read the Bible, as they say, it's like Greek, it's like Latin, it's like some strange thing to you. But when you know Christ, and when you understand Christ, when you read the Word of God, full of the Holy Spirit, you read the Word of God, and the Word of God means something. Was it Jeremiah said, it's not your word. The Lord told him, it's not my word like a hammer. Is it your word like a fire? You feel the fire of the word. You feel the hammer of the word. It breaks down our character. It breaks down our attitude. It changes things that we would not hitherto have accepted. Because you are now alive. But when you are dead, nobody, they can bring the best advisors. They can bring the, the bishops and the popes and the family gathering and everything and everybody to talk to you. And still you will still be adamant. Because your spirit is dead. You can't hear from God. Even if God were to use angels, it's still a problem. You come, when you are born again, your spirit, sensitivity, your ability to hear from God is waking up, is waking up. And you can hear from God. And when you hear from God, you are willing to submit to the will of God. Say Amen. What it means to be saved? It means that you have overcome death. It means that you overcome not physical death, the fear of physical death. You overcome the fear of, natural, of, of spiritual death. You have overcome also eternal death. In Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. When a person is saved, there is an assurance that when eternal judgment takes place, we will not be cast into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Many times when we are teaching and preaching, we focus on that. But really, there is also some other deaths we have overcome. And you see, for this life that we live in, if you have to overcome as a Christian and be victorious, you must know that there's first two deaths. The death to the flesh or the death to the world, you have crossed that line. And the second one, the death that I've spoken of, of natu- fear of death of the na- of natural life, you, you, you've overcome that. Because, you see, a lot of reasons why we compromise and we do things to please men is because of the fear of death. Because we feel they can do something, they can harm us. They can do something against us. That is why we are, we are always in a hurry to compromise. And we also disobey God. Hallelujah. Now, there's another very important thing about salvation we all need to know. When I said that we are saved from sin and its consequences. Actually, we are also saved from the source of sin. The source of sin is a, is a mystery from the devil. You are, when you are saved, you are saved from the control. You see, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, if the gospel be hate, it is hate to those whose eyes have been blinded by the prince of this world. Second Corinthians 4.4 4. So, you, when you are saved, you, don't, you, you are no longer under the slavery and control and influence. He can suggest. He can influence. He can lure. But we are not slaves to Satan. Hallelujah. It's very important to know. Many believers who are born again think that Satan is still 
and that, uh, uh, in control of their lives. No. When you get born again, Satan is no longer your master. Hallelujah. And you see, he, how does Satan manifest? He manifests through demons. He manifests through the world system. The system of the world. Hallelujah. The structures, the economic system, the social system, the, 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 the educational systems, the, the, the cultural systems. So you will not see Satan physically. Very few people all their lifetime ever meet Satan. Very few people. But we all encounter Satan through his, the systems of the world. Hallelujah. What we call the cosmos, the physical things that, that we see, the world system. What you see with your eyes physically. The creation system. It has a way of ruling the way we, do our, we run our lives. So when you are saved, you are saved from the control of the world system. The physical system, as in the daily routines. As in the cultural practices. As in the age movements. Like the, 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 the technology is good. Um, and, and music and all of these things are good. But Satan has had a way of influencing everything, even education, which is good. So you are not, we no longer stay under the control. It means that we, even though technology is good, you must lord over technology. We must lord over technology. We must lord, lord over education. When we go to school and the philosophers are speaking, we need to raise our own philosophers who think differently. You see, that is why in the Western world of Christianity, people like C.S. Lewis are highly adored. In Africa, we have a problem. Because we have not developed capacity in, among our Christian brethren who have been able to stand foot, boot for boot with the worldly philosophers. Coming from a Christian world view to engage them. And because of that, we rather run away and running away does not solve the problem. Because whether you run away today or tomorrow, as I said, he who runs away lives to fight another day. One day you meet the world system. You, if you dodge it in primary one, you meet it in JHS. If you dodge it in primary six, you meet it in, you know, at the university. Today we are talking about CSE, whatever, whatever. Go and read philosophy at the university, you meet it. And the, 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 the philosophers are going to still hold on to how they hold their, their views. They won't change. We have to do our own research, come up with our own ideas and people who believe in what we believe in, and defend it vehemently. Otherwise, they won't change. The laws that are being passed globally, if you are in the UN system and all, you understand what we are talking about. They, they are, many of the people, they, you see, these, we, we all sit here and say, gay, lesbian, they had the strategy. They, be, they started by, they realized that they can't use churches to propagate their message. They can't use uh, uh, people in, in, in public places to propagate. So what did they do? They went to the universities. They got researchers in Harvard, Yale, Cornell, Oxford, Cambridge. Dealt with them, made their, changed their mindset about the world system. So, ah, Gay is nothing. It's nothing. It's the human beings were created the same. They started with the whole thing about creation, evolution. And be, so they got intellectuals who believe in that. And the next generation, this happened, this thing started in like the 60s. It's not today. And we are far, churches, far behind. Churches 50 years behind the world. 
Because we are not operating as people who are in control. Now, when they, they act before we react, they act before we, this thing we are dealing with today, they are dealing with it 50, 100 years time. They have thought through it. They know how to, they know the African situation. Make sure that you campaign for a president in America and UK who are liberal, who believe in A, B, C, D. Make sure that in Africa you get friends who can side with you, A, B, C, D. And they have all worked out. You fast, you pray, but you don't develop capacity to engage the system of the world with an understanding of a godly and Christly worldview. The prince of this world will control. We're talking about salvation. It affects our whole intellect. The way we look at life. Salvation is about controlling, being able to engage the world. Jesus said, we are in the world, but not of the world. That's what salvation does for you. To be able to live in this world and still not to be of this world. That's what salvation is about. That's what being born again is about. If we are not careful, we will always be chasing the world system. Salvation, the control of the world system of sin and the consequences. This system is, this of the world, it's a fallen world. It's true. It's a fallen world. But how do you overcome through Christ? Hallelujah. Understand that the victory of Christ on the cross took care of that. When we activate the, the life of God in us, there's a way, the life of God in you and I. That activated life of Christ gives you and I victory over the world. Jesus said, uh, Paul said, uh, uh, John said, 1 John 5, verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So, the, what world? The world system. The structures of the world, they won't go away. But you need to overcome them. We need to overcome them. We overcome them because we are saved. Because we are born of God. So salvation gives you ability to engage the world system and still gain the victory. Not for us to run away from the world system. Whether we like it or not. Television, internet. When we were growing up, color TV was something that was strange. The whole community, only one person had TV. Even at airport residential area, one or two people had a TV, color TV. Today, every village, even my village in Sutatos, everybody is watching color TV. Hallelujah. So, whether we like it or not, it's coming. It's coming. There was a time we couldn't watch movies on a phone. I remember when we were children, the phone would be ringing in the hall, and we, when the hall is locked, we'll be standing outside and we'll be responding, Hello, 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 it's gone. Now, children, the age of eight, parents buy cell phones for them. The whole world is in their hand. How do you engage and overcome and limit the influence of the world? That's salvation. When you are saved, you have the ability to engage and to overcome. Say amen. So, satanic control. Ephesians 5.8. He said, the whole earth, you who were once darkness. We are saved from the earth. You see, the, the, the consequence of sin, sickness, darkness. What did John say? In him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light was the development of man. The light was the advancement of man. When you don't have salvation, when you don't have Jesus, you are, you are blind. You'll be knocking your legs, hitting left, right and center. Because we, we are, you, are, you can't see. That, what is blindness? Blindness is all about seeing the world darkly. That's all. When you go to the eye test... What is up? They, they, they do a test that tells how much, how narrow your view has become. And the narrower your view becomes, the more blind you become. 
With time, when it, you, you, you don't see because all you see is darkness. So when the scripture says, we were once darkness, but in Christ we have become light. So salvation makes you see the world the way God sees the world. Because God is light. In whom is no darkness at all. So he doesn't have cataract. God doesn't have, have the other eye disease. or other, not Glaucoma. God does, so when you have the eye which is like God, you see as God sees. You, don't, you, you, you are not intimidated. The world's darkness doesn't intimidate you. Because you can see clearly. Your steps are not, you, you don't hit the, 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 the stones. You don't hit the chairs. You don't, we don't walk astray because we are seeing clearly. We are not seeing dimly. Hallelujah. We see clearly. And we, do, we see according to the grace that God has given to us. So salvation deals with eternal life. Eternal life is not just life after you die, but the life that comes to you through Christ Jesus. Amen. Salvation is dealing with the world system. The world system not ruling over you, but you in Christ overcoming the world system. They are giving us food. They are giving us drink. They are giving us everything. But you being able to be the master and say, this one I don't take. This one I take. This society or this friendship I like. This one I don't like because it will not help me. That ability to decipher between right and wrong is given to us through salvation. Say amen. Now, beloved, I want to quickly, maybe before we Look at John 5, 24 in the Amplified before I close this chapter, this part of it. And then there's so much we need to be able to share before we leave here today. John 5, 24, there's something there in the Amplified. It says, I assure you, Jesus speaking, most solemnly I tell you, the person whose ears are open to my words, who listens to my message and believes and trusts in and clings to it and relies on him who sent me, has possesses now, sent me, has, then look at that, Brackets. Possesses when? Tomorrow? Next year? When you die? So he says, now. 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 So the question is, have you listened to the message of Jesus? I'm asking you. Have you listened to the message of Jesus? Somebody give me a witness. Have you listened to the message of Jesus? I don't hear you. Have you listened to the message of Jesus? Say, the person who listens to my message... Have you believed in the message of Jesus? Do you trust in the message of Jesus? Then he says, if you trust, if you listen, if you believe, if you cling, do you cling to the message of Jesus? And do you rely on him? He says, then you have eternal life. Hallelujah. So, don't wait till you die. You, you have, I have, now. Now, I have. Not to say shall have, will have, may have. Say now. Everybody say now. Now, this is very important to clarify. There are biblical discussions that go on in relation to this, which I want to make clear. In John 10, 28, we read a scripture we talked about Jesus saying that if you are kept in him, he'll give you eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of his hand. Go, Romans eleven twenty nine talks about the fact that when we are born again, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And the gift, salvation is a gift. 
And then Jesus said, John, John 6, 37, He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. But it's very important to note what the scripture also says in 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. It says, The saying is sure and worthy of confidence. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. Verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny and disown and reject him, he will also deny and disown and reject him. This is very uh, instructive. That the decision to reject God is yours. When you receive Christ and you say, I am born again, you receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, as we read in, John, in, in, in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, He has done His part. He has kept His part of the bargain and says to you and to me, that, ah, I'm with you. But when you, as a believer, decide to reject Jesus, when you decide to deny Him, to disown Him, then he has no choice but to deny you and to reject you. Say amen. And this is very, very important for us when we are dealing with the security of salvation. What is the security of salvation? Where do I come in? Where does God come in? Hebrews 10, verse 26, 28. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Hallelujah. Now add the same Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6. Hebrews 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, verse 5, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to rest, and ha- then fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. He's talking about when a person has deliberately, consciously denied Christ, deliberately, consciously lived in denial of Christ. The same way he deliberately and consciously accepted Christ, if he reverses that covenant that he has with the Lord, then he's in trouble with the Lord. Hallelujah. Having tasted all the good things, if you turn around and reject Christ, and reject his word, and reject the life that you have in Christ, there is a question mark there. That needs to be resolved. Hallelujah. That takes me to the last scripture on this subject of the security, which is Philippians 2, 12 and 13 from the Amplified. Philippians 2. Okay. He says, Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed 
my suggestions. So now, not only with enthusiasm you will show in my presence, but much more because I am absent. Work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of cautions, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Add verse 13 and complete it. Not in your own strength. Not in your own strength. This is what the lawyers may call a caveat or something that qualifies the previous statement. Yes, you have to work out your salvation, but not in your own strength. Hallelujah. For it is God who is all the while effectually. So as we are partnering with God, God, you are endeavoring to stay in the faith. God is also endeavoring. God is more interested. In fact, it uses the word effectual. It means that God's work gets results. God's word, God's move, or God's action in our lives is the real thing we try to If I am born again and I am living the life of the believer, even though it seem it may seem as if I am doing well, in reality, when it, the word effectual, I cannot be effective. I'm just working. I'm just being there for God. But the real work, the real transformation, it is God. He says, effectually at work in you. Then he qualifies it. Energizing the strength. The capacity, the ability, the oil, the flow, the nutrients that helps you and I to be able to, the, it's a, uh, to it's a, and the creation, creating in you the power, the desire, and the power. Both to will. So even to have a willingness to obey God, I cannot create it. You cannot create it. To have a willingness to be righteous, you cannot create. It is God still working in you, working in me for His good pleasure. It is in His interest to ensure that you live righteously for Him. It is in God's interest that I also. The fact that I know it is in His interest doesn't mean I should relax. Doesn't mean you should sit and sleep and say, so "If God kiss Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be." No, but I want God. To work out in me. So I'm willing. I cooperate with God. I submit to God. Submit yourselves to God. That's what the scripture says. God is the one who is going to work in us. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Say amen. As I wind up finally, brethren. I know that sometimes when we get to the preaching. Uh, we are in the, on the field people are sharing, you realize that everybody has his own style. In this church, we have tried to help people by using what we call the four spiritual laws, which was created. Actually, in the time of the apostles, there was nothing like four spiritual laws, for your information. Because four spiritual laws was created by Bill Bright in 1994. But it's a guide to make it easier for people who struggle with presenting the gospel. Hallelujah. But when you read the Bible very well, especially in the book of Acts, 
and those who were saved, the earliest people who were saved. In Acts chapter 2, time will not permit me. Let me just go through one, two, three things. And in Acts chapter 3, you see how the, some critical, you cannot present a salvation message without some critical ingredients. Let me note this. Some of us do present salvation message incomplete. You give your miracle, give your testimony, but complete it. And some of the things I noticed were constant in every presentation of the apostolic presentation of, of, of the salvation message as follows. Number one, in Acts chapter 2, time will not allow us, from verse 21 to 24, and from verse 38, 36 to 38, it talks about the sin of man. Presenting salvation message without touching on sin and the sin, the Adamic sin and the sin of men can be dangerous. Hallelujah. It's incomplete. Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter on the day of Pentecost preached. When they say he preached Christ, he talked about the sin of men. When we read Romans 5, 12, 12, verse 12, what we read that all have sinned. And he talked about it. Then he talked about the sins of the Israelites. How they are fat, they were wicked from the time of Moses. They are disobedience. So there's nothing wrong if you mention that. It doesn't mean that that should be the focus. Hallelujah. He also talks about the death of Jesus as God's remedy for sin. He talked about the resurrection. Salvation message without any resurrection doesn't give hope. Yes, they have sinned. We have sinned. But we don't remain in our sin because Jesus didn't remain in the grave. Jesus rose up, so it gives them hope to rise up and to look forward to his coming. Say amen. And because of that, it's important to talk about repentance. We cannot just, you know, many times we take people to the recitation of the sinner's prayer when there is no repentance. But in the, on the day of Pentecost, the people repented. The Bible said, and they were pricked in their hearts. Many of our sharing, our door-to-door evangelism, we just give the tract and we force the people into the sinner's prayer. And that's why many of them, if they don't last long, there has to be conviction of the Spirit. And conviction comes by the Holy Ghost. That's why evangelism is to be preceded by prayer and interaction with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You see, resurrection of the death of, of, of Christ, repentance, and then there is also faith and, belief and acceptance. There must always be acceptance. We can't say, oh, I preach to him. I preach to her. And there's no acceptance. And I saw the same pattern when I read Acts chapter 3. It's the same pattern that Peter preached. Talked about sin. The, the rejection of Jesus. Death. Acts chapter 3 from 13 to 20. Chapter 4, verse 12. Say, the salvation comes by no other but Jesus Christ. Then repentance in verse 19 of chapter 3. Belief and acceptance in verse 20. I read through that so that it's the same pattern. When you go to the preaching of Peter or, 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 or Philip in Samaria, the Bible just says that, and Philip preached Christ. It's loaded. He preached Christ. It means he did the same thing that the day of Pentecost Peter did. He preached that it is only by Christ that a man can be saved. But that man to be saved, he ought to know that he is a sinner. And that sin is his own sins and the sins that he has inherited through Adam. 
Hallelujah. And I saw that many times we take one portion, we take another portion, and because of that, somehow, those that we invite to the Lord, we are not able to, they are not able to digest the fullness of the salvation message. And we ourselves don't seem to have a full picture of what they have gone through after they have committed themselves to Christ. As in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. When you read the book of Acts again in chapter 10, the life of Cornelius and his family, you see the day of Pentecost, day, on that day, when they had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I noticed that, you know, in, they, in the case of Cornelius' household, they didn't even accept Jesus. Did you read that? In verse 44. They didn't say, well, Peter yes spoke. The Holy Ghost came upon them. But look at the verses before then. Peter was talking about death of Christ, their sins, and all the things that are in Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Ghost witnessed that their hearts were ready. And he just took it based on their... They had already, by their mouth and their hearts, even though they hadn't openly said, oh, dear Lord, come into my heart, blah, 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 as we may do. They were already surrendered. So the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, when Peter went in chapter 11, and he was narrating it to the saints. He said, the Holy Ghost came upon them, as on us at the beginning. As on us at the beginning. So what denies the Gentiles from being accepted into the faith? Beloved, you need to know why and what it means to be saved. I need to be fully persuaded Paul, uh, Peter said in first, I'm ending on this scripture, first Peter 3.15, be ready always. Just sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always, always, not sometimes, to give anyone who has you a reason for your faith. As we bow our heads in prayer, ask the Lord to give you an understanding of your faith. That I am saved. I've done the sinner's prayer, but Lord, I need to be committed to this thing. I need to have a full understanding. You want to say to the Lord, Lord God, I need this full understanding so I can be your good ambassador. We cannot be good ambassadors when we don't understand the nations that have sent us. We can't understand the government policy of the state that we represent. And yet we are reconciling people to the world, to God. It cannot be. We pray that God will give us understanding. Say, Lord, help me to understand this great gift of salvation. I ask for this grace in the name of Jesus. Help me to understand what it means to know Jesus. Help me to walk in you, O Lord Jesus. Help me to be your true ambassador. I pray for grace to interpret your word. I pray, O Lord, that I will be able to live the life of a saved one. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Help us to walk as overcomers. Overcome us over death, over the fear of death, over the world system, over the powers of darkness. Help us, O oh Lord, to walk in victory. Maybe you say, Pastor, all these things you are saying, I don't understand. I want to be born again. I want to live the new life. You can raise your hand and I will pray with you so that you can receive Jesus and be saved as well. If you raise your hand, I will pray with you. You see the way you live. You know that you are out of the way of God. You fear death. You are living in fear of death. If you are born again, you should not live in the fear of death. The fear of even eternal death and the current life death. In the name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Father. Lord, help us to be true ambassadors of your truth. That we will not be, Lord, lost as we present your word. The Lord will carry your word boldly in every way, in every opportunity that comes our way. May we be truthful to your word. In Jesus' name, we are prayed. Amen.